Well, good morning, Restoration. My name is Katherine Kelly, and I've been coming to Restoration for just under the past year. Um, and in light of Pastor Rob's recent message series on love work, I want to share a part of my story with you this morning. I graduated from college with a degree in communication and marketing. And following college, I started my career path in a sales management program at a car rental company. Quickly after I began, I was aware that selling rental cars was not my passion. Um, I began to look for other jobs that emphasize relationships, and I got a project management position at a healthcare software company in Wisconsin. This job that I so thought was right for me, which emphasized relationships, I thought it had long-term career potential, quickly turned me into a terrible version of myself. I was determined to be successful at this position, thinking it could be that career, and so I was stressed out, I was anxious, I was depressed. I wasn't living a full, abundant life. You see, I was so caught up on making it my career um, that I let it become my life. My job required traveling, and I thought it would only be 50% of the time, which is a lot, but it was still doable when I walked into the career. Um, instead, though, I traveled almost every single week for a year and a half. If I wasn't traveling, I was taking conference calls at 10 p.m. at night, and often working more than 70 hours a week. The culture of the company also didn't help. My boss hated his life. He recently went through a divorce and was a workaholic. My coworkers were into strip clubs and partying hard every weekend. I didn't fit in very well, um, and I virtually had no friends at work. It was one of the most difficult seasons of my life, not just because I couldn't fit into the work culture, um, but it also impacted my marriage and my relationships outside of work. That job and that experience truly unraveled who I was at the core. Finally, last fall, my husband Kevin and I moved back to the Twin Cities for a job that he got, and I was able to leave my position. When we moved back, I took some time off um, to really spend months thinking about who I was, trying to understand myself better, and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I'd have two strikes, and I figured I could spend some time thinking, and I would determine what my dream job was. I ended up seeing a career counselor and a personal counselor and desperately tried to determine what it was I was supposed to be doing with my life. In the meantime, I took a contractor job as an interim solution while I searched for that long-term career. But in January, I decided I needed to be more diligent about praying and asking God what it was he wanted me to do with my life. Up until that point, I'd been doing a lot of personal work but hadn't really involved him in the equation. I continued seeing those counselors in light of that and began to work hard at understanding myself, the strengths he gave me, my passions, and the gifts he gave to me. It wasn't until the summer when I thought those prayers were answered and I really thought my dream job was working in nonprofit ministry organizations. I was so hopeful that this, this was it. I applied for a number of jobs at those organizations, but I didn't get any of them, much less an interview. I was discouraged and confused and really back to square one when family members and friends tried to helpful, be helpful and ask, you know, what was my dream job? What would I do if money didn't matter? I really had no answer. My contract job was coming to an end and I needed a different position. So I was offered a job back in the healthcare software industry, different job, different um, culture. That seemed like a good option. But before I said yes, some of the larger questions I was dealing with about that opportunity were, is this what God wanted me to do? Is this where I'm supposed to be? In light of learning about all those passions and gifts I had, how could I use them at this job? What is my dream job? And maybe more importantly, what if I don't have a dream job? 
I last sleep and I drove my husband crazy, I'm sure, with questions, what-if situations, and many, many scenarios. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, but I didn't have any clear direction. Thanks, Catherine. I don't know how many of you feel or have felt like Catherine. But regardless, I really do think it's possible for us to love work. Um, God has, has created us and knows us, and today we're going to discover the key to loving work. Now, you might not like work. You might not even work. Uh, you, maybe you can't work. But regardless, it's really not about the work. So, as we'll see in God's Word today, no matter where you're at, there is something for you, I believe, in this passage of Scripture today. Uh, so to begin, I, I got to reflect yesterday. I got to love a part of my work. It was just a moment where everything felt right. Um, they say that the highest engagement is when, you know, the challenge meets your strengths and abilities. And in that moment, you just feel like, yeah. And so uh, I had a, yeah, moment. I, I got to share a portion, creatively communicate a portion of God's word at our life group coordinator's wedding, Eric and Amy. So there they are. They're now married. Um, maybe you've seen them around here. Um, and it was just a moment where I was able to sit back down and just say, <clears throat> like, God, I believe you were honored in what I said, and I believe it blessed them. It wasn't about me, and it wasn't about the words. It was just the moment. Thank you, God, for the moment. Same day, I had a moment where I loathed work, where... Um, I got a new modem and a new router. If you're a computer person, then you know what I'm talking about. If not, um, it's this electronic device that sticks into my telephone and gives me internet. And unfortunately, my printer would not talk to my modem because it was going off of the old modem, and uh, I needed a new IP address. This is not my strong suit, even though I'm kind of a computer nerd. And so I was not in the flow. I was in the flow of like, Almost, well, my prayers were like this. Oh, God, this is awful. I am frustrated. I am in, like, I'm almost depressed. I'm confused. I can't fix this. My kids would be like, Dad, you know, I, I need to print this project for school. And I'd be like, I can't help you right now. You should go outside. <laughs> You're going to hear very, very passionate prayers of frustration. Now, one of those experiences has a little more to do with my job than the other. But they're both work. In one, I was satisfied. In another, I was frustrated. And, and we have those experiences all the time. In fact, they've done research on this. There's a guy named Marcus Buckingham who was one of the main researchers at the Gallup organization when they did this thing called the Strength Finders Project. And he and his team interviewed tens of thousands of people who are good or great at their work. And they talked about why. Why are they good? Why are they great at their work? And, and they got to use the best of who they were in their work. That was what they found. And so they asked the people, well, okay, that, so we've discovered that. Now, how often do you get to do that at work? Is it most of the time, some of the time, or very little of the time? Do you know that less than 2 out of 10 said it was most of the time? 
less than two out of 10 felt like they could bring the best of who they were to what they did. Actually, 17% of people said they could, I'll use my words, love work. Now, we've spent five, six weeks in this series, um, and today's the finale. Today's the crescendo of, of what this means. And, and we have talked about the fact that work in its proper place, and its proper perspective under God, is good, is godly. And, and can ex- we can, like God, express who we are just like God expresses his characteristics through that. Last week we looked at how if we, if we change who we see in who we serve, we can bring our best to work. This week, we're going to turn that focus back to us and, and more about us and God than everybody else to discover what it means to bring the best self um, to work. So, like Catherine, many people conclude that, that work is the problem. If I just had the dream job, then it would work. And, and if you think about that, what is a dream job? Is, is a dream job one that has stellar hours or, or super generous pay? Or the amazing, an amazing team environment. Is that what a dream job is? See, people have been trying to crack this for for years. So uh, Patrick Lencioni, he's a business leadership guru. He writes funny books. uh, And he writes leadership fables. He wrote one called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He wrote another one called Death by Meeting. Uh, that one actually sounded pretty good. Um, so he writes five, three signs of a miserable job. And, and people are buying this book. Kind of like when you eat something that's really gross, what do you do? Here, try this. It's gross. Okay, maybe just me. But, but he writes a book like that, thinking if we can figure out these things and then do the opposite, maybe we'll find satisfaction. He says, I promise there's a point. Three things are non-measurement. One, if people can't gauge their progress, they get super frustrated. Um, if people can't find, uh, people, not if, people can't find lasting fulfillment if there's no relevance. Like, they, they need their work to matter to someone, anyone. Even if it was just their boss, if it mattered to someone, then, then they'd be okay. And finally, thirdly, He says, anonymity is the third sign of a miserable job. So people want to be noticed. Not just noticed, they want to be accepted, appreciated, and understood. So think about those for just a minute. Think about if you're understood at work. Now, these four things, so the strengths idea, this being able to be the best of who you are, having um, measurements, having be able to gauge your progress, um, having relevance, having your work matter to somebody, and, and being understood. I think, I think those are great factors in, in loving work. The problem, and why I took so long to set that up, is that, that three of those things, they totally come from outside of us. We have no say in those. In fact, the three that 
that Lencioni or Lencioni talks about is, is all outside of us. So if we're not understood at work, we're, we're kind of stuck. If, if our boss doesn't care about it or someone doesn't care about it, it we're stuck. If we can't track our progress, we're, we're stuck. And even the, the idea of strengths, you know, we can't really change those. We can inspect ourselves, but if we were really honest, we would say, you know, my, my boss maybe doesn't understand me or my coworkers don't understand me. But, you know, sometimes even I don't understand me. Do you ever have those days? Thank you. Someone says yes, because first service, nobody wanted to say yes, and I was up here all by myself. Uh, noon on Friday, I, I call my assistant, Julie, and I, I said, Julie, I just, I don't know what happened to me. I can't even, you know, X, Y, Z, boom. Here's what I did. And she just laughed at me, and I'm like, I, I, I have a problem. I don't know. I'm not going to get fired. I just, I don't know why I spent so much time on that thing that shouldn't have taken a lot of time. I don't understand me. See, because I think we're looking in all the wrong places. We're wandering around wondering what we're good at. Or we're wandering around questioning our value. Or wandering around questioning our, our, our abilities or even our purpose. And so if you think about it, that is the question. Do we believe that there is a God who is creator, who in fact created us with a purpose in mind. This is the key to everything, but this is the key to love work. Now, if you have a Bible, go to Ephesians 2. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. It's in the back. Someone will hand you one. Just raise your hand. It's pretty cool. I'm going to kind of start in a point where you might think, huh, we should hear more about this. Uh, It's at a mini climax in this letter to these people in a very industrial city. Um, And and the writer is trying to get at this idea of what it means to live in the flow of God. What it means to understand our purpose. Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if we just soak in those words for a minute, we're going to talk about the context in a second, but we are God's handiwork. Poema is the Greek word, which is just a fancy word for something that is um, art. It, it comes, it's where we get our word poetry or poet. So it's a, it's a writer who's composing a beautiful stanza. Poema. It's, it's a sculptor who is putting together kind of the perfect pot. It's, it's a painter who's painting a masterpiece. We are God's handiwork. So, so I've got some handiwork here. Um, crate and Barrel. Made in China. No offense to China. Uh, we have about 40 of these at the ministry center. LMW, if you can't see it. Leah Marie Wilhelm, our creative arts director. My guess is she gets a little more satisfaction out of drinking out of this one than this one. Just saying. Now, 
This is mine. I didn't make it. It's not made in China. I have had this for at least 15 years. Now, I think it's pretty symmetrical, but, you know, the coloring is a little off. Uh, it's, not, it's not perfect, but it is one of the most precious, most beautiful gifts of mine. LMC. No, MLC. Michelle Lay Church. My wife gave this to me as an engagement gift when she was, before we were married. She was in grad school and had to take a pottery class for something. But it is one of the most precious things to me. Why? Because I will never find an exact copy of this. It is not mass-produced. It is hand-crafted. You and I are hand-crafted by the creator of the universe. He sculpts. He puts you together. And he looks back and smiles. And it's not, it's not just a piece of work. Maybe that's what my mom used to tell me. You are a piece of work. And, and, um, and it's true. Now I can go back to her and be like, I am a piece of work. I'm a good work. I'm a great work. I am God's work. Is this hard for you to get? Because this is hard for me to get. Do you know that you can take all kinds of personality tests and they're good stuff? Catherine's right. They're good stuff. You can take all kinds of discover your strengths. Good stuff. But there's no combination of inside or outside emotions or intellect or spiritual gifts or personality or strengths or abilities that is exactly 100% you. I have twin nephews. They, they come here, and they are rascals, and you can't tell them apart. And, um, you know, one's got a little mole, and that's pretty much the only way. They'll impersonate each other. They'll exchange clothes. They'll exchange names. They'll exchange underwear. Um, sorry about that. Uh, true. And, and yet, you spend a half hour with them, and you see they are not the same. They are handcrafted. Same DNA, same parent, handcrafted. God put you together. He, he looks at you and he smiles. He puts you together. It says that he not only says you're his handiwork, but he has created you for good works, created you in Christ for good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. So that means that he has a purpose for us. He looks at us. Um, my wife and I like to go to Stillwater around our anniversary because it's kind of a weird town and just unique. And we go into some of the shops that are kind of unique. We love the kitchen shops. And the kitchen shops in Stillwater have the craziest, craziest utensils. And so our goal is that we find one and then we bring it to the counter and the person not know what it does. And it's great. It's super fun because you're like, you work here. You don't get what this is. And then we, and then we guess. And we try and figure it out, but we can't because we didn't make it. See, God made us. We can't sit around and wonder by ourselves. We have to go to the creator. We have to go to the one who designed us because we are one of a kind and he made us. He knows exactly how he created us. He knows exactly what he wants us to do. And it may not be one specific job. It may just be a passion and a purpose. But see, some of us, we've gotten off track. Some of us wonder. Some of us are even cracked. Some of us have 
taken our handcrafted stuff and dropped it. Some of us have said things like, man, I, I haven't got it right after two jobs. Or nobody gets me in my house. Or nobody gets me at school. Or nobody gets me at work. And we think, well, God must not get me. And, and, and the writer says, here's why. He says in the start of the chapter, he said, you were far from God. In fact, we would describe it as so far from God, we were dead in our sin. We were dead in our trespasses. We were, we were so separated from God that we didn't understand. And yet, he didn't leave us out there. We should have been treated like towards God, God's wrath, he would say. We, because we were so separated from him and following the evil in the world or following the evil rulers of the world, um, the kingdom of the present, it says, that, that really he should have had disdain for us. Objects of God's wrath. But instead, it says, but because of his great love for us. Because he looked at us and he didn't see brokenness. Even in the midst of his brokenness, he saw the ability to repair whatever was broken. He saw the ability to repair whatever had been separated. He saw the ability, whatever had been ignored and thrown out. And he said, oh, I can fix that. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, not rich in fairness, God, rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead. It's by grace that we've been saved. He didn't ask us to fix ourselves. He didn't ask us to put the pieces together and glue it and come to present ourselves at church or to God or wherever. He said, no, even while they were totally broken, he puts us with Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages... So no matter how long ago this was written, 2,000 years roughly, in the coming ages, he might show the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Christ. For it's by grace that we've been saved. Just in case we haven't missed, you know, got it yet. He said it twice. He's going to say it again. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith, through trusting in Christ, that Christ was enough, that his, his sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection was enough. And when we trust in that small piece, that huge piece, but that's our part, trusting that, we get it all. And this isn't from ourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not by works. We can't earn it. We can't pay for it. We'll never be able to pay it back. It's a gift, so no one can boast. That's why we're God's masterpiece, for we're his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus, recreated in Christ Jesus. We break it, he puts it back together. It looks like new. That's why we're restoration, by the way, to do good works, to discover our purpose, to live out our, our, our reality, wherever it is. Maybe the best way to describe this before Catherine tells you the, the rest of her story, is, um, is a story from Azusa Pacific University. In May of 2009, uh, the president, John Wallace, got to 
got to have the privilege of doing something amazing. He, he was in a little group, kind of a mini gathering before the graduation of some parents, some alums, some selective students, and they were going to honor these three students who'd not only been great students, but they were going to go into um, not necessarily mission work, but they were going to work in underprivileged areas, um, serving the poorest of the poor, using the skills that God had created them for. And so they were just kind of having this moment to send them off. And, and the president goes, but that's not the real reason we're here. And everybody kind of stopped, and, and they were giving him a quizzical look, and, and everybody had gathered, and these three students were in the middle with the president. He said, the real reason we're here is that there's been a benefactor that's heard about your plans, and he's given a gift to the school. And he turns to the first person, young woman, and he said, your debt, your, your student loans, private university in California, your student loans of $105,000 have been forgiven, paid for by this guy. Yeah, she. And she starts trembling, and she starts crying. And then she's crying so hysterically, she starts laughing. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that. And the crowd gets, is kind of getting sucked into this, and then he turns to the second person, young man, and he says, son, this person's heard what you're doing and your $70,000 of student loans have been forgiven. And then he loses it and he starts crying and the crowd gets even closer in. And, and, and the third girl, she, told, she knows what's coming, right? Like he wouldn't do a bait and switch. He just seems like too great of a guy to do that. And so she knows, but she still needs to hear it. And so she's kind of shaking anticipating, and he looks at her and she says, he says, dear, your debt of $130,000 has been paid for. And she loses it in the crowd like everyone's coming in and they're all sharing in this moment. It's not just those three students that got this gift. They're all sharing in the moment of this one anonymous person's generosity. Friends, this is the gospel. This is why we live. This is Ephesians 2 in the making. I mean, are these students seriously supposed to go, especially the number two guy, like, um, well, mine was only 70 and hers was 130. Can I take a couple more classes? No. Or, or do you think that these three students, that they would go off into this, this we'll call it mission work, doesn't mean it, doesn't really say mean it was ministry, it was teaching or, or, or medical care, um, whatever God had designed them to do. Do you really think they were going to go, wow, now I can get that car I wanted. Now I can get a step up in the house. I mean, through the generosity of this person, so these students could be freed from their burden, freed from their debt, do you think they were going to pursue their own comforts? I don't think so. I think they were freed from that debt so that they could bless the world. Unencumbered. That, when we get that, when we get that, no matter what we do, we can love work. That's the work. To find out who we are. To express that 
and express the riches of his grace. God says, you want to see how big my grace is? You want to see how big my riches are? It's better than 105 and 70 and 130. It is the debts that none of us could pay for. And we are freed from them to pass that on. To let somebody else from that circle get a little closer. To experience just a little more of what it means to live in the grace and the flow of God. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has created for us to do. That's why we can love work. There was a moment and a time this last fall when I realized something. Maybe God hadn't just called me to one thing. One of my friend's mom's so wisely said, God gives us one assignment and, or one call and many assignments. Maybe I don't know what my dream job is, and maybe I never will. But through the counseling and the work I had done over the past year to get to know myself better, I knew I did have things I was passionate about. I have skills. I have gifts. It didn't really dawn on me, though, until this, until this September, that maybe my job wouldn't fulfill those passions. Maybe those two wouldn't be linked. Maybe God provided this new job just to provide a job. You see, for so long, I was caught up in the idea that this was about me. This was about what I was supposed to do with my life. But quietly and persistently over the last year, I understood that God was calling me to just be concerned with him. It was simple, really. It isn't about the job. I am skilled at project management and implementing large-scale software systems. But at the end of the day, that's not what it's all about. For me, it's about the attitude that I bring to work, that I have while I'm there, and interacting with others. I realize now that just having a job is a gift in and of itself that he's provided. My perspective has changed. It's now about loving my coworkers and doing the best I can at what I've been given to do. More than that, though, this job has allowed me to see that my gifts and passions can be used outside of work in other ways. One of those ways has been here at church. I think I've finally come to realize that a job is important in our lives, but it is not the defining factor of who we are. It's not the most important thing in our life at the end of the day. Today, I can say I have deep peace about where I'm at, or not at, on my career journey, because I have my identity first and foremost in Jesus. Thanks again, Catherine. As the band comes up, I just want to say a couple things on how. How can we do this? How does it work out? First of all, if, um, if you're just at the moment where you're saying, okay, I think I'm God's handiwork, um, we're going to have some people in the back. You can come and pray with us, and we'll just talk about what it means to be created as God's handiwork. If you've got a broken thing that's never, that you've never confessed, God wants to free you from that. But secondly, in this idea, we do believe that God has given us purpose, that he's designed each and every one of us uniquely. And some of those things, as we, when we accept Christ, when we put aside our trust in ourselves, we put our faith in Christ The Spirit comes, and we are given gifts. The Bible says at least one gift, sometimes more than one, 
But uh, if you've never heard about spiritual gifts, let me encourage you to write a couple chapters down. Ephesians 4, I think it's actually going to be on the screen. Um, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. That'll give you a good start. But, but Paul says in this letter, we're God's masterpiece. And then he says, I've discovered who I am because God has gifted me through his grace to preach to outsiders. That's what he's called me to do. Um, he was a tent maker. That was his job, but this was that gift. He says more clearly in Ephesians 4, he's given each of us, Jesus Christ, the, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, each one of us, he's given a special gift through the generosity of the Spirit. Out of that love, out of the abundant riches, because he's never going to run out. Whoosh. Not for your comfort, but to your blessing. And to others flourishing, a special gift. And Romans even says that, that each of us have different gifts according to the grace given. Not to compare, not to have envy, to bless the world. We want you to discover your purpose, your divine purpose. We want you to discover your gifts because the world needs each one of us in Christ to be Christ. Some people will never come to church to find that. That's okay because we go out. We have a, a handout up here and in the back that just says a little bit about that, that starts your journey, that starts your process of discovering who you are, how God has created you, and how to define that God vision, that kazon, if you will, that's the Hebrew word, uh, for your life. And we'd love to start a little group on that. But as we close with some songs, and if you want to come and pray about the vision, about the purpose, about just who you are, um, come. Receive God's wisdom, God's forgiveness, and his love. God, I thank you for the promise, the reality that we are not on our own, that we are your handiwork, that you don't look at us as a piece of work, you look at us as your best work. You would put us up on your fridge and you'd say, mine, you'd You'd auction us off for millions of dollars. That's how valuable you see us. But you, you hold us as yours. Thank you for the reality that you've forgiven our debts that we could never pay. And you've called us to live in you, to see the world know you. Speak to us now about, about how to live into that, how to hear your grace and live by grace because we're saved by grace.